All right, I'd ask you to turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 for our final time. As you know, we have included in our study of redemption accomplished and applied, we've included uh, this little preliminary study of putting John 3.16 into context. Putting John 3.16 into context. And and we're going to finish that up tonight. Um, It's it's really foundational and, and lays a lot of the groundwork for the the messages and the lessons that'll come later in this study. And uh, as we as we come now to John three sixteen, we'll finish this little preliminary investigation and Lord willing next time I teach on a Wednesday night, we'll jump into the first subheading of the of the book Redemption Accomplished and Applied and just kind of take it from there. So John 3 and verse 16, uh, let me read it just to to get us started tonight. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We have before established the usage of the word world in John 3.16 as primarily referring to the realm of mankind. If you weren't here uh, two weeks ago, I would encourage you to go on our sermon audio and listen to part one of this uh, because we went through the ten different usages of the word cosmos. It's the Greek word for world in John, John's gospel. And we, we noted the proper view of that word as it's used in John 3.16. And what we concluded was that when the Bible says, for God so loved the world, the, the term world here is a reference to that humanly realm the realm of mankind, the realm of humanity. However, there's another really, really important piece to understanding the proper interpretation of John 3.16, and that is understanding the qualifying statement, whoever believes. Whoever believes. The qualifying statement, whoever believes, indicates a more complex meaning that really overlaps two usages of the Greek word cosmos in this verse. And we'll see that it gets even more complex than that. Um, The qualifying statement teaches us that those who receive the benefits of Christ's death, according to this verse, what are those benefits? Not perishing and having everlasting life. Those are the benefits of Christ's death. Those who receive those benefits are not every member of the human realm, but a particular group within that realm identified as whoever believes. That's the the group that's identified there uh, that qualifies the statement that God loves the world. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to to give you the, the eggs and the bacon And what I mean by that is this. When we talk about biblical exegesis, one of the the roles or one of the the parts of exegeting a portion of Scripture is examining it in its original language, parsing its its grammar, parsing its structure. Uh, But when we preach that passage, we don't don't bring out the, the raw eggs and the raw bacon. We bring out a cooked meal. But since this isn't a sermon, properly so speaking, this is a part of a a lesson series, I'm going to give you some of that exegesis tonight, 
and explain what John is doing here, uh, what Jesus is doing here in, in John 3.16 when he says this. And what I want you to see is the, the Greek structure of this phrase, whoever believes, whoever believes. And uh, I know you, you might be thinking, oh boy, this is going to be really boring. But I, I, I trust that if you'll stick with me, it won't be, and you'll get a lot out of this. So notice in John 3, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And then we have this phrase, that whoever believes in him. That's the phrase we're going to be looking at tonight, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the phrase... That whoever believes in him is the phrase ena pas pistevon ice. Afto, okay? Ice, afto. Ine pas opistivon ice afto. Whoever believes in him. Um, and, and we're going to break down this phrase, and in breaking down this phrase, you'll get John 3.16 in context, okay? Most all of the confusion surrounding John 3.16 stems from a misunderstanding of the usage of pas. Pas is the word translated whoever. Pas is the word translated whoever. Um, but this word is found 1,236 times in the New Testament, very common word, 921 times, so a great majority of those times, it's translated as the word all. And only 35 times is it translated whoever. Okay? To understand this qualifying phrase in John 3.16, we need to understand the usage of the term pas, the usage of the term all. And just like the word world, right, all has a variety of meanings. So contrary to the popular maxim, all means all. Have you ever heard someone shout that before in defense of a particular doctrine? All means all. Well, sound exegesis of the biblical text is just not that simple. All does not always mean all. Just like world does not always mean world. There's a variety of usages, and we need to dig into the context and see how the Bible uses these words. There are three ways in John's Gospel that he uses the word all. The first way, the word pas, the first way is to refer to all things without exception, or all people without exception. The second way is all without distinction. And that's something that you need to understand. The difference between all without exception and all without distinction. And then the third way that the word pas is used in John's Gospel is to refer to all of the elect. 
Okay, let me show you some examples of this. Uh, turn with me to John 1 and verse 3. John 1 and verse 3. The first example is the use of all without exception. John 1 and verse 3 says this. All things, all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. That verse is very clear. The usage of the word all in that verse refers to all things without exception. Um, there is absolutely nothing in the created realm that was not created through Jesus Christ. He created all things. Now turn with me to John 12 and verse 32. The second usage of the term John, or the, or the usage of the word all in John's gospel refers to all without distinction. All without distinction. Notice John 12 and verse 32, and we'll camp out here in chapter 12 uh, for just a minute so we can, we can explain this here. John 12 and verse 32, Jesus says, And if I am lifted up from the earth, it's interesting, by the way, because in John 3, he's also going to talk about being lifted up from the earth. But he says, If I am lifted up from the earth... I will draw all peoples to myself. Literally, it just says, and I, if I am lifted up, will draw all peoples to myself. Um, the New King James even denotes this by inserting the plural word peoples. If you have a King James or a New King, I think the King James inserts the word men, and the New King James inserts the word peoples, the plural word peoples, and it'll be in italics. If you have an addition like a New American Standard or a King James, which will put inserted words in italics. The reason why that word is in italics is because it's not in the original. The Greek literally reads, And if I be lifted up from the earth, all will draw to myself. Peoples is inserted to clarify the meaning of the verse because the Greek word structure, as it is in so many places, wouldn't make sense if it was translated with a word-for-word -word literal equivalency. By the way, there's no such thing as a literal word-for-word -word translation because you can't go from, from Greek or really any language and just rigidly translate word-for-word -word because different languages have different word structures in order for them to make sense. So the translators rightly insert this word, which is absolutely necessary in English for us to be able to understand this verse. Notice that this is an absolute statement. It's an absolute statement. Jesus says, I will draw all peoples to myself. Uh, not, that's what I'm going to attempt to do. I'm going to try to do that. No, I will do it. It is undoubted certainty. He will draw all to himself. So the question is, the defining question is, all what? All what? To whom does peoples refer? All what? Well, there's two options. Either universalism is true, and every single person that has ever lived is going to come to Christ, or it means all people without distinction. All people without distinction. I really like the insertion of the term peoples, because it, it really clarifies here that he's talking about different people groups. Different people groups. 
The usage of the word all in verse 32 of chapter 12 is a reference to all categories of peoples. And the context reveals this to be the correct interpretation. Look at verse 20 of chapter 12. John 12 and verse 20. The Bible says, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. That's significant. The Bible tells us that there are Greeks, Gentiles, who are coming to Christ. And verse 21 says, And then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. This is huge. This is, this is monumental in redemptive history. Here are a group of Greeks who are seeking the Jewish Messiah. Verse 22, Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. So Jesus now hears that there's this group of Greeks that are seeking after him, and here's his response in verse 23. But Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. What was it about this knowledge of this group of Greeks that made Jesus say, This is why I know that the hour has come for me to be glorified? Well, because if you understand the whole scheme of redemptive history, the plan was always for the Messiah to be the Savior of the world without distinction. Up until that time, his ministry had been exclusively with Jews. And now these Greeks are seeking him. And so Jesus says, the hour has come for me to be glorified. Calvin interprets this as a reference not to the death of Christ on the cross, but to the publication of the gospel. As if Jesus said, the hour has now come for the knowledge of me to be published in every region of the world. I believe that's That is what Jesus is getting at here. And notice in verse 26 of chapter 12, he says, If anyone serves me, if anyone serves me, notice the emphasis on that anyone, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So this is the context of 12 and verse 32. Jesus will save all Greeks, Jews, males, females, Americans, Europeans, Africans, Asians, young, old, etc. He will save all peoples who put their faith in him. All without distinction. Do you understand the difference between all without distinction and all without exception? All without exception means literally every single individual person that has ever lived All without distinction means all people, regardless of any sort of divisions or boundaries that would separate them and segregate them. He's not just the Savior of Jews. He's not just the Savior of Gentiles. He's not just the Savior of Americans or Anglo-Saxons or uh, Europeans or Asians or Africans. He's the Savior of all people, regardless of their background, who put their faith and trust in him. So that's the second usage of the term pas in John's gospel. But the third usage of this term refers to all of the elect. All of the elect. Turn to John 6 and verse 45. John 6 and verse 45. Notice what the Bible says here in John 6, 45. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all 
be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. The word all in John 6.45 refers exclusively to all believers. To all believers. Jesus quotes from Isaiah 54.13 to prove this point. And all of the group in John 6.45, notice how the Bible describes them. They are all taught of God. They are they, they have all heard and learned from the Father, and they all come to Christ. All of them in that group do that. The Father has chosen them and drawn them, and all of them come to Jesus. And again, the context reveals this as the only possible interpretation. John 6, the latter half of John 6, is really just a, a phenomenal manifestation of the doctrine of salvation in John's gospel. Pick up with me at verse 37. Notice what Jesus says here. Jesus says, and he's going to use this word pas over and over again. He says in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Jesus unmistakably defines the scope of all as it is used in this passage. He is talking about all who come to him. All those who come to me. And then again in verse 39, notice he says, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up at the last day. All who come to him, in verse 37, is the same group as all who are given to Christ by the Father in verse 39. And then again in verse 40, notice Jesus says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone, everyone, same root word there, everyone, that all who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So we ask the question, who has everlasting life? Well, the answer is all those who come to Christ. Well, who comes to Christ? All those given to him by the Father. The Bible is not incoherent and confused. It is harmonious and consistent. And throughout this passage, Jesus is talking about the same group of people when he refers to them as all. And it's very easy for us to understand this when we just look at how they're described. This can't be all without exception because all people do not come to the Father. It, it can't even really be all without distinction because it gives too, too precise and definite of a description of them. They are all people who do something very, very definite. They come to Christ. They're given to Christ. They believe in Him and they receive everlasting life. Jesus contrasts this group. Notice in verse 44 what Jesus says. He says, No one can come unto me or can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Um, no one here in verse 45 or verse 44 is clearly a different group than the all that Jesus has been talking about. Because the no one in verse 44 does something entirely different than the all of the preceding verses. 
The all in the preceding verses come to Christ, but Jesus says that there's a group made up of no ones who don't come to Christ. So we see there is a clear-cut distinction. The one in verse 44 doesn't come because he can't come. That's what Jesus says. No one can come to me. The only way for this person to come to Christ is if the Father draws him, gives him the ability to come, and then bestows upon him the gift of faith. When the Father draws men to Christ who cannot come to Christ on their own, he takes them out of the group composed of the no ones, and he places them in the group composed of the all who do come. You tracking with me thus far? Well, this usage of the term all in John 6 is proved by the passage that Jesus cites. Look at Isaiah 54 and verse 13. Isaiah 54 and verse 13. This is the passage that Jesus quotes. However, when Jesus quotes it, he, he leaves out a word in John 54 and verse 13. Notice, or Isaiah 54 and verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. Isaiah 54 and verse 13 says, All your children, that's, that's what Jesus doesn't quote there in the New Testament, all your children shall be taught by the Lord. So again, we find uh, a further qualifier, a further designation on this group here in John 6 and verse 45. Jesus says all, and he's talking about all your children. This is a reference to the spiritual family of God. So what the Bible is teaching here is that in order for us to come to Christ, in order for us to put faith in him, in order for us to follow after him, what needs to take place? We need to be born again into the family of God. All your children, Jesus says, Isaiah says, all your children shall be taught by the Lord. The all of John 6.45 are all of God's children who have been born again and regenerated by God. So turn back to John 3 and let's answer this question. We've seen there's three uses of the term pas, the term all, in John's gospel. All without exception, all without distinction, all without, or all of the elect. Okay, so... What is its usage in John 3 and verse 16? Well, when we look at this qualifying phrase, inapas o pistivon eis afto, when we look at this qualifying phrase, this phrase is repeated identically from John 3.15. In John 3.15, look at verse 14 as well. Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And here's the phrase, that, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Um, there we see that Jesus is predicting that he, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he will too be lifted up. He will be raised up. And then verse 15 gives us the cause or the, the reason why Ina is so that because of or, or in order to accomplish that that 
that whoever, that all, we'll get to the opistevon, but that all, and then ice of toe in him. In him. Okay? That all in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then we come to verse 16, and we see that Jesus taking the place of sinners, being lifted up for sinners to look to and live, we see that that is, according to John, the demonstration of God's love for the world. So Jesus has said in verse 14 and 15, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so too I will be lifted up. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that same qualifying statement that pas o pistevon eis apto that whoever in him shall not perish but have everlasting life and then the definitive uh, the definitive qualifier that that really solves this whole discovery for us is the question all in him who what all in him who what and we look at these this this word this phrase O pistevon, O pistevon. It, it is a it is a present tense participle. It's a it's a uh, participle with a definitive article, and what that means is that it's it's an action noun, okay? And it literally means the believing ones, the believing ones. Or the ones who believe. And that, that's the text of John 3.16. So what is that verse saying then? It's saying, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that all the believing ones in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what John 3.16 is saying. The emphasis of the verse Okay, this is when you really have to pay attention. I've gotten through all of the hard stuff. Now we get to the really important stuff. The emphasis of the verse, because this will help you when you're talking with people who will use John 3.16 to teach the exact opposite of what it actually teaches. The emphasis of the verse is not on pas. The emphasis is on opistimon. It's not on the all. It's on the believing ones. Let me give you a really basic example of a present tense participle. And you'll see how the emphasis should be placed. If I said to you, all the runners com are competing in the race. All the runners are competing in the race. What is the subject of that sentence? All the runners. All the runners. But the definitional emphasis of the sentence is not all. It's runners. That's what makes the sentence have meaning. Because if I said to you, all the skateboarders are competing in the race, or all the bicyclists are competing in the race, I have totally changed the definition of the sentence. I've, I've fundamentally changed the definition of the sentence. Right? So the subject is, in that sentence, is all the runners. Well, what's the subject of John 3.16? The subject is all the believing ones. But the definitional emphasis is the believing ones, not all of them. Right? So how do, how do people 
oftentimes like to read John 3.16. They like to read it like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever believeth, whosoever, whosoever, whosoever. And they use that whosoever to override the emphasis upon the believing ones. But when we understand this grammatically in its proper context, we understand that the proper emphasis in John 3.16 is for God so loved the world that whosoever believes, that's what he wants you to see. That whosoever believes in him, that's the fundamental definitional emphasis in this verse. Ine pas o pistevon eis apto that whoever the believing ones are in him, those are the ones who will receive eternal life and who will not perish. Some English translations even go so far as to translate it more along those lines. I think the ESV does that and some others where they will translate it all who believe or all the believers. Well, what is the significance of this whosoever? And it does have a significance. Whoever in John 3.16 emphasizes a lack of distinction not a lack of exception. So lack of distinction, not a lack of exception. What this verse is teaching, what this verse is teaching, is that there could never be a believing one who doesn't receive eternal life. There could never be anyone who puts their faith in Christ, who believes in Him, who doesn't receive eternal life. But what this verse makes no comment about and this is what so many people assume that it does make a comment about, but it's an assumption that goes beyond the text, John 3.16 says absolutely nothing about man's capacity and ability to believe. It says nothing about it. But when you put an improper emphasis on the whoever, and you don't understand the usage of the term pas, and you take this to mean some hypothetical conditional statement, and not a statement of absolute certainty of the the, the salvation that is secure in Jesus Christ, then you begin to read into this verse a capacity to believe that this verse doesn't teach. In fact, in John 6, as we've already seen, the natural man has no ability to believe on his own. He's dead in his trespasses and sins. And so in order for him to come to Christ, in order for him to believe, It has to be, we have to conclude that salvation is the gift of God. And it's by grace alone that God gives in order for us to come to believe in Christ. So what is the usage of pas in John 3.16? Is it all without exception, all without distinction, or is it all of the elect? Well, it cannot mean all without exception. That would teach universalism. That would teach that everyone is ultimately going to be saved. Some argue that it refers to all without distinction. However, this is not a hypothetical group. It's not a hypothetical group. This verse places a definite identifier on the group designated as all in John 3.16. The demonstration of the Father's love in giving His Son bestows everlasting life on this particular group. And this particular group that receives the love of the Father and the benefits of Christ's death are referred to as all the believing ones. Let me give you a theological question. What is the theological term for the group 
comprised of every individual throughout all of redemptive history who has ever or will ever believe upon Christ? The elect of God. The elect of God. So John 3.16 we wouldn't, we wouldn't want it translated this way because we catch it a flack already. But it could very literally read, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that all of His elect should not perish but have everlasting life. Thus, properly understood in its context, John 3.16 is teaching exactly the opposite of what so many in our day want to abuse it to mean. When you take John 3.16 out of context, here's the, the, where the rubber meets the road and where this becomes very practically dangerous. When you take John 3.16 out of context, you are subject to believing that God gave his son for no one in particular, that Jesus died for no one in particular, and that salvation is entirely dependent on no one in particular's response to the gospel. You've just made salvation dependent upon natural man who John 6 says doesn't have the capacity. With this interpretation of whoever believes, listen, there's not even a guarantee that anyone will believe. I, I've pressed that issue before with those who, who take this interpretation of it. How can you say if, if the ultimate stipulation of redemption is ultimately dependent upon man's reception can you guarantee that anyone will be saved? Well, the answer is no. No. The, there is a, a hypothetical possibility that no one will be redeemed and that in the fullest sense, Jesus completely died in vain. But when we understand John 3.16 in context, we are left with this beautiful truth, that God has ordained to save sinners from before the foundation of the world and he has chosen to save people that have no ability to come to Christ, and he has given them to Christ as a love gift, and that love was demonstrated, and this is a, a, a perfect uh, example of this, John 3, for God so loved the world, the structure of that grammatically refers to a specific instance in which God demonstrated his love for the world, and he did that when he gave his only begotten Son, and because of his love for them, God will regenerate them and he will draw them to Christ and God will bestow upon them the gift of faith so that they can receive salvation in Jesus Christ alone. The marvelous truth of whoever is not marvelous because it teaches that all men have the capacity to believe and they are saved when they so choose. But this truth is marvelous because God is saving sinners without distinction and the elect of God transcend all imaginable boundaries. Look with me in Revelation 7 as we close. Revelation 7. Revelation 7 and verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits 
on the throne and to the Lamb. It's an innumerable multitude. We cannot put a number on it. And it includes all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. The only reason why we can be sure that Revelation 7 verses 9 and 10 is true is because God is sovereign over the salvation of sinners. If salvation were left to the free will of man, there's no guarantee that anyone could be saved, much less an innumerable multitude comprised of every people group ever created. But because salvation is guaranteed by the grace of God, we can believe him when he says, I will save a people group. I will save people. An innumerable multitude from all nations, tribes, tongues, and kindreds. Because he's sovereign over the pastivon. He's sovereign over this group. He has ordained this group. He has chosen this group. And because of that, we can believe him when he says he will save them. Because he has set his everlasting love upon them. And all peoples, from every people group, who place their faith in Christ, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. You say, well, if we believe that, if we believe that, then then what's the purpose of evangelism. And I say to you, if you don't believe that, what's the purpose of evangelism? We can evangelize because God has given us the promise that he's going to save a multitude of people. We don't have to question the success of our evangelistic endeavor. But if I have no guarantee that God's going to save anyone, I have no confidence to go out and share Christ. And my warrant, my warrant for preaching the gospel, our church's warrant, your warrant for preaching the gospel is not the fact theologically that God is sovereign over the pastopistimon, but the fact that he stated that whoever believes in him, that all the believing ones in him will be saved. And Christ has given a warrant for every sinner, for every person to repent and believe the gospel, he has given a promise, and he has said, if you believe in me, you will receive everlasting life. So, there's John 3.16 in context. I hope that it didn't bog you down too much on a Wednesday evening, and I hope that it really lays a solid foundation for us as we begin to look at the deeper things of redemption accomplished and applied.